so we solicited your, uh, your questions of what kinds of things about the faith, about the Bible, would you want us to be speaking about and addressing here uh, from the platform. So we've covered things like uh, racism, we've covered technology, we've looked at how to have healthy relationships, and while we can't exhaustively cover those subjects, we've just been trying to address them. Well, one of the questions that was asked was, well, what about forgiveness? What does the Bible say, what does Jesus say about forgiveness? So we collectively as Trinity Church wanted to know, what does God, what does the Bible say about this subject? Now, actually, we're in good company because there was actually an apostle of Jesus's, one of his disciples, who asked this very same question. In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, it says this, Then Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now this is an interesting thing because seven in the Jewish mind was a number of completion. It was a very thorough number. So if you got to seven of something, you were done. Finito, finished. I don't have to do this anymore. I'm done with it. So Peter thought he was kind of going above and beyond and coming to Jesus and saying, if I do this seven times, am I done? And Jesus is like, nah, 77 times. So Jesus was euphemistically telling the disciples, you are never done forgiving. You can't check this one off and say that I have completed my task of forgiving. Seven is a number of completion, and Jesus just blew it out of the water and said, no, we're always forgiving. And in fact, he continued, and he told a story in verses 23 through 35 of the same chapter. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And we don't have a real concept of 10,000 talents unless we put it into today's terminology. 10,000 talents would represent about 200,000 years worth of average wages for an American. 200,000 years worth of wages. I identify with that. I look at some things in my life and I know I am so in debt, financially, relationally, but before a holy and perfect God, I know I have some debts that I cannot pay. It's not even remotely fathomable that I could tackle these. 200,000 years worth of wages. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Come on. Really? And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about three or four months worth of wages. So it's not nothing, but it is not what this other servant owed. 
who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Similar language. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Should we forgive? Jesus' answer is very, very clear. We should forgive. We must forgive. Forgiveness is not optional in the kingdom of God. It is not like we can sit back and casually choose, I'm going to forgive this one but not that one. This one has earned it and this one hasn't. This one has shown some kind of worthiness to be forgiven, so I'm going to forgive that one. Or I feel like it at this particular time, so I'm going to go ahead and forgive. Forgiveness is not something that Jesus gives us an option to engage in. Forgiveness is required in the kingdom of God. And Jesus makes it clear that it is something he expects of those who will follow him. But here's the thing. Other than just Jesus said we should do it, there are some very good reasons to forgive. And I want to talk about three of them today. Three reasons to forgive. The first basic reason that I want to talk about comes in Hebrews 12, 15, where it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. A root of bitterness. Now, some of my best friends went to MSU, and they got their degree in horticulture, and they run a a landscape business. So I kind of had to learn a bit when I started working for them about the general structure of trees and shrubs and stuff like that, the plant kingdom. You think of a root. A root goes in the ground. The root grabs nutrients and water out of the ground, and it brings it up, and it feeds some things called what? Branches. Yeah, you have a root, and you have branches. Branches you can see. Roots you generally cannot. When they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're in the ground grabbing nutrients. The branches don't really grab nutrients. They only get sunlight, but they're not the ones grabbing the minerals out of the earth and the water out of the earth to feed and make the tree healthy. The root does that. So let's play a little game. Let's see if we can figure out the difference between roots and branches. So let's take a look at a picture here and tell me what you see. Do you see a root or do you see branches? Branches, obvious, yep, it's the thing that we can observe above ground, it's out there for everybody to see. Let's look at another one. Root or branches? Roots, they're in the ground, they're deep, you don't necessarily see them unless something like this comes along and exposes them. Roots are in the ground. Next one, what do we see? Do we see roots or branches? Branches, yep, they're up above, we can see them. And then one more for fun. Root or branches? 
Roots, those are roots that we can eat. But they still have a purpose. They're in the ground, grabbing nutrients, pulling it up and feeding the branches that we can see. What about this one? Rage. Root or branches? Branches. Rage is not usually something that is fueling us. It's, it's an expression that everybody can see of a deeper thing. What about this one? Anxiety. Root or branches? I think it's branches. Nobody just starts off with anxiety. Anxiety comes from something. Something fuels it. Something feeds it. Something grabs nutrients and supplies it to anxiety. Roots and branches. But there's another piece of every thing that's in the plant kingdom. And it's a little tiny thing called a seed. The Bible talks about them in Galatians 6, 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Have you ever planted an orange seed and gotten an apple tree? You ever planted an acorn and reaped some corn? No. One of my favorite ideas or thoughts about a tree or about a seed comes from an illustration that I gave when uh, I was up north. This friend of mine used to run this men's trip up to the UP every year, and we'd go up there and we'd goof off, and this guy was a nut job. He would find the most hazardous, dangerous waterfalls in the UP, and he'd get a bunch of his buddies to go up there and jump off them and hopefully avoid all the rocks and all of the calamity and then get out. And we would do this every year, but he would always try to include a few lessons here and there. And I love the UP. I love being out in the woods and just walking and looking at stuff and all the nature and being out there and being alone sometimes. But my favorite trees in the UP, probably my favorite tree altogether, is a hemlock tree. A hemlock tree can be enormous. They grow to almost 200 feet tall. They can be five feet in diameter. They're huge trees. And we're walking through a group of these hemlock trees, and we're going to this river that we're either going to swim or walk up. I don't remember. But I remember that it had a huge canyon coming down to the river where there weren't too many trees, but all these hemlock trees were up top. So I thought of a lesson, and we're walking down. We got all the way down to the bottom, and we're walking up the river. There's out rock outcroppings everywhere, and we're just making our way looking for this waterfall. And I decided to stop everybody for a lesson because I saw this huge hemlock tree that was kind of over the river, not quite blocking it, but over the river, really low. It had no, uh, none of the pine or any of the leaf structure on it. It was just a big log. And I thought, let's see if we can move this thing. So there's about 18 guys there. And I said, guys, let's see if we can turn this log sideways so it'll get caught up in the water and go down the river. It might have been illegal, but I wanted to try. So we all get on one end. There's 18 dudes, and we're all straining at it, and it kind of rolls up a little bit, and we're like, we got it, we got it, we got it, and then it just fell right back down where it goes. 18 dudes could not move one half, one end of this hemlock tree, and so we're all tuckered out and tired, and everybody's sweating, like, we're supposed to be having fun, and Mike is making us work, and I, I sat them all down, and I said, okay, guys, how many of you think that I could carry one of these entire hemlock trees down that entire bank, go swimming all day, and then carry it back up at the end of the day? Nobody thought I could do it. And I stuck my hand in my swimsuit pocket, and I pulled out a hemlock cone. And it looks like this. 
It's one of the smallest cones there is. I had carried one all the way down the bank, and I was going to go swimming with it all day and carry it all the way up. Micah, what is the point? A tree might not be manageable for you, but a seed is. You can handle a seed. You can pick up a cone. You can pick up a seed. You can carry it. You can plant it somewhere, or you can not plant it somewhere. But every tree came from a seed, and a seed is manageable. A tree might not be. Okay, so how do we get back to forgiveness? Bitterness is the root. The seed is unforgiveness. And that seed, if we plant it, becomes bitterness, and eventually it grows up into a tree. This is a tree, part of a tree, that I cut down at BT's house. Why do we forgive? Because every bit of unforgiveness that we plant becomes a tree that we're going to have to carry. And we're going to be walking around with it. I'm reasonably strong. I can carry this thing for a little while. I could probably carry this for an hour if I had to. I wouldn't really want to preach from it. Like, it's slowing me down. You see, I like, I like to move around here. I like to use my hands and do some gestures and stuff. But I'm encumbered now with a tree. Maybe somebody else put it here. Maybe I picked it up on my own. Maybe it's my own fault that I have it. Maybe it's someone else's. But either way, I'm carrying around a tree, and it's got me going pretty slow. Why do we forgive? I'll show you why we forgive. We forgive so that we can do something like this. That's why we forgive. That tree has nothing to do with anyone else. Has nothing to do with how it got on my shoulder. Me setting it down makes me free. Forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness lets your heart, my heart, off the hook. We get entangled and ensnared in these things that have been done to us or that we've done to ourselves and we get bound to them. Forgiveness is when we let our own heart off the hook. So we forgive so that we're not planting the seed of unforgiveness that will become a bitter root and spring up into a tree that will defile ours, our own lives, and the lives of those that we love. The second reason that we forgive is that bitterness and unforgiveness gives ground and advantage to Satan. If you don't know this already, Satan hates your guts He wants you bound up and in prison. He wants you in bondage for all of your days. You represent everything that he hates. You have the image of God within you, and he cannot stand it. He wants it bound and in prison forever. He hates you. He's always looking for an advantage over you. And listen to this in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. It says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. 
Let's not be ignorant of what he is trying to do to us all the time. Another translation says, lest Satan should take advantage of us. I don't want the enemy of my soul to have an advantage of me. Advantage is kind of a wrestling term. My son wrestles. And you can tell clearly when somebody's got an advantage. They usually get points for it in folk-style wrestling. But it's usually when somebody's on top or when they're behind their opponent and they have a much greater capacity to do whatever they want to their opponent. I don't want to be in a position where I have given Satan the capacity to do whatever he wants to me. Forgiveness is biblically a very clear way that I can give Satan control or some kind of capacity to have an advantage over me. I don't want to do that. I dare say you don't either. But forgiveness is a very, unforgiveness is a very easy way to give away some control of your life to Satan. And in fact, in the passage that we read about the unforgiving servant, the master had turned this unforgiving Satan, or this unforgiving servant over to jailers. And in one of the other gospels, it says that he might be tormented by them. That's the enemy. And if we're unforgiving in our lives, if we let the root of bitterness to drive in and go deep, Satan has an advantage over us. So point one is that we don't want to plant the seed of unforgiveness that will become the bitter root. Point two, that, or the reason two, is that we don't want to give ground or advantage to Satan. And then lastly, unforgiveness is a sin that blocks God's capacity to work in our lives. So at one point, the disciples came along with Jesus and they said, hey, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And he teaches them to pray in the famous Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As we forgive those who trespassed against us. And when Jesus concluded the prayer, he immediately gave them a little bit more about this forgiveness thing where he says in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is really clear and serious language. Is Jesus saying that if we don't forgive other people, we can't get into heaven? I don't think so. No, he's not. But he is very clearly saying that if we're going to have a life of unforgiveness, we can expect no forgiveness from God. He's not going to be for us. He's not going to be, he's not going to be making ways for us like those verses talked about. It inhibits his capacity or his, his ability to work in our lives if we're being unforgiving. How can we receive forgiveness and forbid it from our neighbor. Jesus is pretty clear about the seriousness of how unforgiveness in our lives can affect God's capacity to forgive us. Okay, we got it. This is serious, serious business. We don't want to be planting the seed of unforgiveness. We don't want to be giving the enemy advantage over us. And we definitely don't want to be on the wrong side of God. Okay, we got it. How do we forgive? Well, we had three reasons to forgive. Let's look at three ways to forgive. 
The first way I want to talk about forgiving is forgiving things from the past. Forgiving things from the past. If we're new to the idea of forgiving, then maybe we have to sit back and take an account of the past. So how would we know what we have to forgive from the past? Like what what could we possibly think of and say, okay, do I have any unforgiveness? What do you think we should look for? Should we look for a root of bitterness or unforgiveness or a seed? No. We should look for some branches, something that we can observe, something that has been fed by this root of bitterness that uh, that has come from the seed that was planted of unforgiveness. Some of the branches might be things like anger, uncontrollable rage, depression, anxiety, addiction, jealousy. All of these kinds of things are branches. They're evidence of something underground. They may, it may not be unforgiveness. It might be something else, but if you have some of those kinds of things in your life, you might sit back and take account of them and say, I wonder if that comes from a seed of unforgiveness. If there's calamity in your relationships, that's a branch that might be pointing to a root that came from a seed. Okay, so if you are taking account and you've got some of those branches in your life, what do you do with them? Probably the most basic Christian disciplines are confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Confession is where you acknowledge something as true. So you look at your past, you realize, oh, I've got this branch of rage right here, and I think it might come back from this point where I was extremely hurt by my mom or my dad when I was a kid, or someone abused me or something like that, and and a seed of unforgiveness got planted, it took root in bitterness, and it grew up into this branch of rage. Now, maybe you're not... Maybe you can't figure this out on your own, so you bring along a partner. You bring along someone who will help you examine these things. Maybe you'll go to God with them. But confession is the process of getting to where you acknowledge the truth about something from your past. You acknowledge that you allowed a seed of unforgiveness to be planted when you were hurt. Don't go after the branches. You can trim branches all day long. They'll grow back. Go after the root. Go after the the seed. Address it there. But you confess, and then you repent. Confession is just acknowledgement that this thing happened to me, and I allowed it to turn into bitterness, and it is being expressed as whatever the branch is. That's just confession. But if I haven't done anything, I haven't repented. Repentance is when you turn away from it, when you turn away from the unforgiveness, when you say, no, what they did to me was wrong. It was evil. It was not God's plan, but I forgive them. They bear the image of God. I forgive them. I let them go. I let go of every inclination for them to have to repay me. I let it go, and I walk away from that. I'm going to even try to start blessing them in the way that I pray for them. I'm going to even try, try to start having compassion for them and understanding of what made them do that, what kind of awful, horrible stuff happened to them that made them behave the way that they behave towards me. Repentance is the process of turning from the, the unforgiveness and the, the, the demand that they pay for what they've done into a spot where you are free of them, where you bless them, where you want the best for them, and where you can love them. Forgiveness is not 
at all dependent on them. It's not dependent on their apology. It's not dependent on their repentance. It's not dependent on their confession. Forgiveness is completely independent of the behavior of the other. They might be dead. They might live in a different country now. It may be someone that you can never talk to again and you can never hear a word from again. Forgiveness is not dependent on them. That said, reconciliation is... So you can forgive someone, but it does not mean that you need to be in reconciled relationship with them. While forgiveness is independent of them, reconciliation is dependent on them. So what I mean by that is if they're not willing to acknowledge wrong and engage in a conversation with you and try to come to an agreement about what happened and then maybe even some apologies and some repentance, you don't have to reconcile. I'm not telling you to live in perfect relationship and reconciliation with someone who has unrepentedly uh, harmed you. But forgiveness is independent of them. Does that make sense? Okay, so how do I know that I've forgiven? Look at the branches. Do I love them? Do I, in my heart, Jesus didn't say if you forgive from your mind. That's a good start. Forgive from your mind, where you acknowledge, okay, I forgive them, I forgive them, I forgive them, and your heart's like, nah, uh I forgive them, I forgive them, I forgive them, nah, keep working it until your heart comes along. Then you'll start to see the branches of, I actually love this person. I have compassion for them. If they're unrepentant, I'm not necessarily engaging in reconcil- reconciled relationship with them, but I have compassion for them, and I wish them the best. Look at the branches. Do I have the branches of love, compassion, understanding, speaking blessing over them, thinking blessings over them? If you still have all the branches of cursing and of of anger and of rage, then, then you have some more work to do. And that's okay, but you still have some more work to do. Look at the branches. So we forgive things in the past, but then also the second way that we need to forgive is to be forgiving in the present This is where we have a a habitual self-examination, where we examine the things that have been done to us, basically in the present, and we're constantly considering whether or not we have been offended, whether or not we are allowing a seed to take root. This could even be a daily exercise, where you just sit back and with the Lord, maybe with a friend, with someone in community, you just examine your life and you say, have I been hurt? in a way that I'm allowing a seed to just sit there and start to take root. There's actually a very practical reminder of this that we actually go through every single month here. On the first Sunday of every month, we do communion here at this body. And one of the biblical instructions about communion is if you have ought against your brother and you come to the Lord's table, you're supposed to make it right with your brother first. To me, that's always been a good idea to just, as I'm sitting there before, you know, we pass the bread and all that stuff, I just sit there and think, is there anybody that has hurt me that I'm letting the seed get planted? I don't want to take this until I'm sure that I have forgiven everyone who has caused an offense to me. That's a very practical thing. It's biblical. If you know of someone that has hurt you, make it right at least in your mind before you take of the communion. But this is where we have a habitual practice of recognizing and then confessing unforgiveness and repenting of it and turning from it. 
So it, it's, a, it's a position where we regain freedom readily as we go. So we forgive in the past, and then we, we, we adopt a habit of forgiving in the present. And then thirdly, we can become unoffendable. Unoffendable. Psalm 119, 165 says this, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And the King James Version says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing can offend them. Become unoffendable. This is where we don't even accept the seed. This is where our hearts and our minds are so steeled over that the seed just lands on something and it's like landing on this. It's not going to take root. We can be fertile soil to the word of God. We can be hard as a rock to an offense. I'm not saying that we become callous to our neighbor and we don't care about people. I maintain a soft heart to your fellow image bearers. But do not accept the seed of offense. This is really countercultural because we live in a culture where offense is one of the highest forms of currency we have. If I've been offended, I'm rolling in it, man. The, it's just one of our favorite things. Get offended at everything. The kingdom of God is very different. The kingdom of God is, I accept no offense from you because that puts me in bondage. Don't even accept the seed of unforgiveness. Let it go. Recognize the other person as an image bearer of God. And if they hurt you, it was a mistake or there's some garbage in their past or have compassion for what caused them to do it. But do not accept the seed of unforgiveness. Pray for them, bless them. In the moment, pray for them and bless them. Become unoffendable. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing will offend them. You see, forgiveness is so much more than a Christian discipline. It is a privilege. It is a gift that God has given us, both for our offenses and for the offenses done against us. Because there was a time 2,000 years ago where the Lord of glory himself, the creator of the entire world and everything that exists within it, picked up his own tree. And he carried it across town. And he climbed up a rock with a tree on his shoulder. And he let mankind nail him to it. Every offense, every hurt, Every crime, all of it, every tree, he carried it, and then he hung on it for our sakes. He let us off the hook. He let his own heart off the hook. And he paid the price for us. Forgiveness is a privilege in the kingdom of God. And we can follow his example. We can live the way that he lived and we can lay it down at his feet knowing that he carried it and he carried it well and he finished his task. 
There's probably two kinds of people here today. Those who have acknowledged the cross of Christ and the sacrifice that he made. They've acknowledged him as the king of glory, the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of heaven, and they've accepted the sacrifice that he made for them. But they're still carrying the tree. They're still carrying the tree of unforgiveness toward others. Maybe even some unforgiveness toward themselves. You're a Christian. You acknowledge Christ. But you're carrying around that tree of unforgiveness. He's commanding us to lay it down. And then the second kind of person has never really accepted what Christ has done. They haven't accepted the totality of his forgiveness of his capacity to carry the guilt of all of us and to deal with it thoroughly on the cross. And if you're in that second group, today could be your day where you acknowledge what he's done, where you seek him out, where you confess him as the Lord of glory, and you believe in your heart that not only did he die on a tree, but he rose from a grave. And if you're in that second group and you're not sure how to do that, I'm actually going to invite the elders and their wives down right now and then the prayer team. And I'm going to close in prayer. And if you don't know how to do that, come down. Talk to the elders. Talk to their wives. Talk to the prayer team. Talk to me. And we'll show you the way. With that, I'm going to close. I'm going to pray. And we're dismissed. Jesus, I have nothing to say but to acknowledge that you carried it all. You carried mine. You carried everyone in this room. And you handled it. And we don't have to carry it anymore. There might be mountains and mountains of debt in this room. but we acknowledge that you've forgiven it all. You carried it all for our sakes. You carried it all out of love and obedience to the Father. And Father, I pray that that, that, that seed, that truth, would fall on fertile soil today and that it would be planted, and that it would be watered and nourished, and that we would be a people and a church of forgiveness. In your name, for your glory. Amen. That's all I have. You're dismissed.